Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are examining the NFL before the regular season finale and making picks for Week 18, plus a preview of the college football national championship between Georgia and Alabama and a special preview of the 2022 Monster Energy Supercross season. It's episode 55 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. everybody here on thursday january 6 2022 that's gonna take some time to get used to the 55th episode of let me speak thank you everyone for tuning in wherever you're listening or watching this podcast as i said it's the first episode of the new year first episode of 2022 hope everyone was safe and healthy partied hard during christmas new year's whatever kind of holiday you're celebrating me it was a great time being around family just seeing how great my family is um, just an incredible holiday. And then ringing in the new year, you know, let's, let's hope for a great 2022. And of course it's going to start off with the NFL because even in the back half of 2021, it was incredible. And hopefully it carries out into the Super Bowl, and then hopefully the beginning of the regular season. But again, that's, far in the future let's talk about the here and now and the here and now in the nfl is that three playoff spots remain ahead of the historic week 18 in the nfl i still can't believe that there are 18 weeks in the regular season everyone's playing 17 games i'm still blown away that they were able to get to this conclusion but that's a story for another time as i said three spots remain it's really more so about seeding up in the air. And we start in the AFC because that's really where it comes down to. Because at this moment, four teams are still eligible to get that number one seed. We have the Titans, the Chiefs, the Bengals, and the Patriots are eligible to get that number one seed. And let's just go down the list of the teams who are eligible and where the confidence meter is at for those two. So we start with the team that's in number one right now, and that's Tennessee. And I ultimately think that they did get their mojo back against Miami last week, crushed them 34 to three. But this is a team that needs that first round by the most. They absolutely need it. And they can get it with a win or a Chiefs loss or a Bengals loss or a Pats loss. But ultimately, they just got to win their game Sunday. But in terms of the teams that I listed who are still eligible, the Titans need it the most because they want the best player on their roster. And I'm not, I'm not going to have anyone make an argument for that because Derrick Henry is the most important player on that Titans team. If you get him as healthy as possible, the Titans are right back to being a Super Bowl contending team because this was a team that had the number one seed at one point. And then once Derrick Henry went down, everyone on Tennessee started to go down just a little bit, not a, not a total fall from grace, but they're not where they were when Derrick Henry 
was running wild, which I also got to keep in mind. He's the sixth leading rusher in the NFL still, and he's missed half the season. That's how important this guy is. And I think Tennessee is the one that's going to need it the most because you want Henry as healthy as possible. We did find out this week that they designated him to come back from IR. The question of when that's going to be still remains to be a fact because he's obviously not going to play in the regular season finale. You hope to get him back for the playoffs, but your key your your key timetable is that you get him back for the divisional round because you don't want him at less than 100%. You know, he might still be less than 100% even if he does come back at the latest time frame, but you want health uh Henry as healthy as possible. You want him running down the field, a downhill runner plowing through everybody. You want to keep that 198 team rushing yards that uh, they did against Miami and their defense allowing 74 rush yards. You want that as well. But Derrick Henry is the core of this Titans team because we've seen without Derrick Henry, when the pressure is on Ryan Tannehill, he doesn't really step up. He isn't an incredible guy where you can say every single week, that's the guy you're going to. You can't do that because we've seen him throw uh, interception after interception. So is Tannehill really a guy that you can trust on if you don't have Derrick Henry? In my eyes, no. Even though they have A.J. Brown, and A.J. Brown looks like he's healthy once again, I don't see it with this Tennessee team. So in order, the best shot for them to get to the Super Bowl is to get that number one bye. So they need it. They absolutely need it. But then you have Kansas City sitting at number two right now. All they need is a win and a Tennessee loss, and they're right back at number one. Now, regardless of where they are, they're still my favorites in the AFC. I mean, let's talk about that Chiefs-Bengals game last week. Oh, my goodness. That might be the game of the year, the way Mahomes and Burrow went back and forth and back and forth. Now, the defense for Kansas City, that's been the talking point in the Patrick Mahomes era. We've seen how great he can be and the offense can be, but the defense has lacked and lacked and lacked until this year. When Mahomes and that offense didn't look like themselves, the defense came through. Chris Jones, Frank Clark, all those guys, they came through and they shut opponents down. The one concern I have, though, are high-powered offenses. I mean, the Bengals are now in a high-powered offense. You know, the Chargers are a high-powered offense. And we saw what happened in those two games. They lost to the Bengals, and then they uh, just barely beat L.A. in overtime a few weeks ago on that Thursday. So in terms of, you know, teams that that lean on their offense, you still have some questions about it. Do I think that Kansas City can step up defensively? Of course they can. I mean, these guys have been to three straight AFC championships, two Super Bowls, one one. So... I have full confidence that, you know, their defense can show up. It just depends on who they're playing. And they have to get out to a big lead early on, especially if you're going against a high-powered offense. I'm not talking about, you know, a team like the Patriots or a team like the Colts where they rely so much on their offense, who don't really rely on the offense. That's not their strong point. A team like the Bengals, who carried them in whose offense carried them, I should say, against Kansas City last week. And in my eyes, Cincinnati shocked the world with their win, not just because they wrapped up the North, they got themselves into the playoffs, but the fact that they went toe-to-toe with the Chiefs 
and put up the amazing numbers that they did. I mean, Joe Burrow, unbelievable, nearly 450 yards. Jamar Chase has become a stud and, in my eyes, locked up offensive rookie of the year. I mean, 11 catches, 266, and three touchdowns. That's the guy who ruined my fantasy football chances, so I'm a little bit angry at Chase. But in terms of skill and just being an absolute stud, Jamar Chase is now in that category. Now, in that game, part of it was a little lucky with all the penalties on fourth and goal. I mean, Cincinnati did the smart thing, and they ran and ran and ran, and Kansas City just stopped them on the goal line. And I don't blame Zach Taylor for wanting to go for the kill against a team like the Chiefs, but I feel like he should have kicked it earlier and not put Joe Burrow, not necessarily, you know, go for it on fourth and goal at the one-yard line, but put him in the shotgun, okay? That's when you just have to simplify things. And, you know, instead of a QB sneak, think of a counter run or get someone in there for a fullback run. I understand that Burrow was a little hurt, but being in the shotgun on fourth and goal at the one-yard line, it's not really something I would have gone for if I was Zach Taylor and that team. But they are in the playoffs. Do I think they can go a long way? Probably not. You know, even if they do get to the tight, the championship game in the AFC, I don't really see them going a long way just because again, young and inexperienced, but if not this year, for sure, I'm penciling them in for Super Bowl contender in 2022 into 2023, simply for the fact that they are going to get better. Okay. They're going to get the weapons defensively, the offensive line for as much as they've struggled. They've been able to keep Burrow up enough for him to to do their work. So they're going to improve that offensive line. The defense is going to get better. And Cincinnati is going to be a team to reckon with for a couple of years now. So watch out for Cincinnati. But I think between those two, the Chiefs, still my favorites in the AFC, but the Bengals have really thrown a wrench into it. I never would have expected Cincinnati to be in that spot. But then, of course, the last team who still has a chance for the number one spot are the Patriots. Now. It is highly unlikely they need a lot of things They happen. They need a win in Miami. Then they need losses by all of the previous three teams combined. I don't think that's going to be possible, unfortunately, when you look at the schedule. And we'll get into the pick segment in just a little bit. But just really quickly on the schedule. Cincinnati's playing at Cleveland. That's a low chance for a loss. Kansas City's playing Denver on Saturday night. Again, low chance. And then Tennessee has Houston. Okay, so... It's not really plausible but the Pat, that the Pats have a chance at that number one seed, so I'm just throwing them to the curb on that one. Now, they still have a chance at the division, and we'll get into that uh, when we get into let's get local, but those are the teams that have the chance at number one seed. But let's talk about those last two spots in the playoffs. We've got five teams still eligible right now. It's the Colts, the Chargers, the Raiders, the Steelers, and the Ravens, okay? Steelers and Ravens, I don't think they're going to get in, you know, because again, like the Patriots in the number one seed, they need a lot of things to happen. Okay. Baltimore needs to win their game. And then I'm pretty sure that every single team, you know, Colts, Steelers, uh, Dolphins, I think they all have to lose. And then Steelers, you know, they got the win in Cleveland and then they got to win this Sunday and have the Colts Chargers, and Raiders. I think lose. I think that's what it is. I'm not hundred percent sure, but I think for those last two spots, the Colts should obliterate the Jags. And I know that's kind of a spoiler in our pick segment, but the Colts should be favored to get into the playoffs. And the Raiders, if they get in, 
I, for for some weird reason, if Indy loses, they will get it. Okay, I don't see that happening though. I favor the Colts to get that last spot, and I love the NFL for flexing Chargers Raiders to Sunday night because it is essentially like this: the winner is in, the loser is eliminated. Now, in terms of the team that I think could be the most effective if they get in between those two, between LA and Vegas, I like the Chargers because if you're looking at seating wise, they would be at number seven and they would play the Chiefs if all things stand, okay? Those are two incredible games that we saw earlier in the year. Of course, the overtime game a couple of weeks ago, and then earlier on when the Chargers beat the Chiefs, okay? I think that would be the more effective team, because let's face it, the Raiders don't have anything for Kansas City, okay? And I know they've gone through so much, but Derek Carr, you know, there's Derek Carr is a great quarterback, but we haven't seen enough playoff experience to really see him and give him confidence that the Raiders can go a far away. I mean, they've only made the postseason one time in the Derek Carr era. So it, we're just going on guesses, essentially. But I just think from an offensive standpoint, the Chargers have more weapons. They've got a great running back in Austin Eckler, plus Keenan Allen, Mike Williams. You know, those are some game-changing wide receivers. Meanwhile, for the Raiders, I know you got Hunter Renfro and Zay Jones and Deshaun Jackson, possibly Darren Waller if he comes back. But I think for a more competitive standpoint, the Chargers would be the most effective if they get in. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens in the AFC. Meanwhile, the NFC, this is more about seeding because there's only one spot remaining. And we'll get to that in a bit. But in talking about seeding, I still ride with the Packers. Now they've locked up that number one seed, eliminating the Vikings. Plus, they allowed the Eagles to get in, so they don't even need to play their starters against Detroit. You know, they're still going to be my favorite. I expect the starters to, to do play a little bit, but the Packers, they're a given. Let's talk about everyone else, okay? Let's start with Tampa. Tampa's right now sitting at number three, and after this week, they can get as high as the number two seed, depending on how some things go <clears throat> with the Rams and the Cardinals and all that. And they could go as low as number three, where they are right now, because they own the tiebreaker against the Cowboys. Now, Tampa, I think they are a team you could still rely on because you just cannot count out Tom Brady, okay? And the Antonio Brown situation, which is a whole conversation within itself, you know, just, just really briefly, just getting sidetracked really quick. The Antonio Brown situation, okay? Both sides are at fault, okay? Brown shouldn't have acted like that. And Bruce Arian should have respected the player's self-diagnosis if there is one, okay? And we're just learning about little things here and there. So this is probably a story for the offseason that we'll probably get into, okay? But from a game standpoint, not having Brown does hurt them offensively. But again, you can't count out Tom Brady, okay? Mike Evans will be healthy. Hopefully, Leonard Fournette will be healthy. The only problem that I see is that Brady doesn't get his weapons involved and the secondary for Tampa lets them down for whoever they might play. So they do get a nice, easy matchup this Sunday, taking on the Carolina Panthers at home. Okay. So that's a nice, easy, easy matchup, but I think they're still going for it. Probably see Brady out there, depending on how the game goes for at least one half, but I, I still rely on Tom Brady until you see him get beat on the field, which could happen. It could happen. But of course, for seeding wise, the NFC West matchups between the Niners and the Rams and the Seahawks and the Cardinals are the two to watch out for. Okay. Because you have the Rams who are still looking to clinch the division, 
all the while the 49ers are trying to get into the playoffs. Okay. The Rams have won five straight looking for six. They get the division and the number two seed with a win or they get the division with a Cardinals loss. Okay. Meanwhile, Arizona, they could still win the division if the Niners knock off the Rams. Okay. Cause keep in mind the last time the Rams played the Niners, it was 31 to 10 San Fran on Monday night. Okay. The Rams got embarrassed. So it's totally possible for all of these situations, okay? Because if the Niners don't win and the Saints beat Atlanta, then the Saints get in. I never would have thought New Orleans would be the team still out there at 8-8 eight and eight with everything they've gone through, with starting Ian Book on Monday Night Football. And here they are sitting at 8-8 eight and eight with a spot to get into the playoffs, okay? So this is must-win for San Francisco. That's an understatement that San Francisco needs a win. I don't know. You know, Trey Lance did look good last week, but it's all about getting that offense back to its dominating ways, okay? Because the Rams, they're going to go for it, and the Niners are going to go for it. So that is a game to really watch out for. And meanwhile, for Arizona and Seattle, I mean, Arizona could win the division, And they could even leapfrog the Cowboys. You know, they could get to the number three seed with a win and a Rams loss because they beat the Cowboys last week. So there's so much going on in the NFL, and it's all depend on these games for week 18, which then segues to our last regular season NFL edition of Pick'em. So it's time for our last pick'em segment of the NFL regular season, and we've got a great guest joining us. He is the bass player for the band Groundlift. You can check out their music anywhere you found music, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you need to. Mike Dutko joins us as our guest picker. Mike, thanks for taking the time and making some picks with us. How's it going, man? It's great to see you. It's been a long time. It has been a really long time. I mean, your your bass playing goes all the way back to the high school days, going to Algonquin, and now it's you, Leah Bluestein, Mike McCormick. You guys are a part of Groundlift, and I understand you guys just went out to California to uh, record an EP with Steve Evans. Do you want to talk about uh, what that time was like? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, we went out to California last month. We spent most of the month of December out there, and we recorded a a new EP, which is going to be coming out, you know, hopefully – you know, early this year, maybe in the spring. Uh, but yeah, it was really exciting. He's worked with a lot of big names, so we were really lucky to, to get in with him. But yeah, uh, yeah, it'll be cool. Yeah, Joe, definitely. I remember, I remember from high, speaking of high school, I remember you like announcing us when we would come on stage <laughs> sometimes. Oh, that, that? Co- I do remember that coffee house because I mean, you were up there, what, like three or four different times. So yeah, I, I was I was always there to get you guys up there. So it's time to, yeah, it's time to make some picks. And uh, you just recently went to uh, the Patriots game. So you can probably give us a little firsthand for, uh, for the Pats. So let's I did, get, yeah. Yeah, we'll get you, uh, we'll get right into it. Uh, again, we're searching for a 13 and three record from Johnny Mansaridis, another former Tomahawk. That's the mark we're looking for. And uh, last week I went 12 and four, just missed him out. So let's see if you can. Uh, wow, he went tw- 13 and three. All right, let's see if I can match that. Yeah, well, I got you. I got the same amount of games on the slate for you. So let's see how we do it. And we start off with the Saturday slate. Let's talk Kansas City and Denver. Chiefs already have the West wrapped up. Denver is already eliminated, but the Chiefs basically need a win to stay in contention for that first round bye. So what do you think between the Chiefs and the Broncos on Saturday? 
I definitely think the Chiefs are gonna are gonna win this one. The Broncos have been kind of up and down all year, right? What's their record again? The Broncos seven and nine. They just got eliminated last week. Yeah, no, I I, I definitely think the Chiefs. I, I only saw one Broncos game this year though. It was against the Browns on like Thursday night, and they I don't know came out flat. Yeah, it's been it's been back and forth. They've basically been hovering around the five hundred. I mean, they started three and zero, but they were beating teams like the Jets and the Giants and the Jags and all that. So. I think Drew Locke is probably back at quarterback. I agree with you. Kansas City had their way. Last time these two teams played should be Chiefs pretty easy. And who knows if they can get that first round by. But moving on to the nightcap. Nightcap then, another 11-5 and team are the Dallas Cowboys. They travel to Philly. Both teams have their playoff matchups. Uh, they have their playoff spots, I should say, wrapped up. The Cowboys have the East. But they, again, are looking for some seeding. They can get as high as number two possibly. But what do you think? between the Cowboys and the Eagles. You know what? I'll take the Eagles on this one. I like Jalen Hurts. I think that the Eagles are, what are they, like five and two in their last few games? Yeah, they've been on fire. Yeah, they've been doing well. I'll take the Eagles. Yeah, possible possible playoff preview, depending on where the Cowboys match up. And Mm -hmm. also with the Eagles, they could get to uh, that number six spot for the seed, which would be huge. They might play the Cowboys or uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks. Uh, So that's important. I do think the Cowboys win this game just because Philly, they might be resting. They know they're in the wild card. So it's, it's probable that, you know, they'll probably just stick to way that uh, to where they are in the standings. And also, also COVID hit them a little bit, but I think they were probably going to rest some guys anyway. So I'll take the Cowboys uh, on this one. If you want to change your pick, if you want to go Cowboys, you might have just tempted me. Tempted. No, I'll stick with my guns. I'll stick All with right, my guns. good. Go with your gut. Go with your gut in the go with the Eagles. So then we go to the Sunday slate of games. We go to Cincinnati and Cleveland. And what an eye-opener last week. The Bengals were beating the Chiefs at the buzzer. We know Joe Mixon won't play because he tested positive. We know Joe Burrow is going to be resting his uh, pinky in his knee. So it might be an opportunity for Cleveland and possibly Baker Mayfield's last game. Who knows, depending on the offseason. But what do you think about Bengals and Browns? Yeah, I, I think because the Bengals are going to be resting people. I, I guess I'll take the Browns because this this could be a really big game for Baker Mayfield. I mean, if he's if he's able to show something, you know what I mean? That this could be really big for his following season. So, yeah, I'll, I'll take the Browns. You got all the naysayers saying he's not the guy. He's not the guy. Have a good game against the Bengals team. Then uh, that, that'll prove you wrong. And plus, the Bengals are looking for that number one seed, but I, it's highly likely they got to have the Titans and the Chiefs both lose. It's going to be hard for for both of those teams to lose at the same time. I kind of yeah. ride with you there for Cleveland just because Burrow isn't playing, plus Cleveland's at home. You know, it's mostly that just because Burrow's not playing. Yeah, that that's ultimately the big one. And speaking of guys not playing, the Green Bay Packers, thirteen and three, they have the number one seed wrapped up. Aaron Rodgers said he wants to play, but he's probably not going to play for a long time. They do travel to Detroit to end the regular season. Detroit, as of right now, the number two pick in the draft. So they could lose purposely to try and get that uh, that number one pick. It's going to Jacksonville right now. But what do you think about a rested Packers team versus the Lions in a meaningless matchup? I don't know why. This freaks me out, like picking either of them. Uh, <laughs> I, I'll take the Packers because I love the Lions. But, yeah, I mean, the Lions just are horrible this year. So I'll take the Lions. Yeah, I mean, man. I'll take. The, I'll take. What did I say? I'll take the Packers. <laughs> I got Packers. I I circled it. I made sure I got that. I think right, even Packers. even the backups on the Packers are better than the Lions. I mean, I, yeah. I love the Lions how they fight and Dan Campbell. You know, I think they build something great at least in his eyes. But I, hope I so. think I think for this week, I think it'll be the Packers, regardless of how much Rodgers, Adams, and 
all those starters play. I just think it's it's too much. Their backups are even better than the Detroit starters. So that yeah. says a lot about Detroit right there. As we go to another meaningless game, I would say the Bears and the Vikings both are undefeated. Another maybe an audition possibly for Matt Nagy. His coaching uh, job could be on the line. Some say it's already written on the wall that he'll get fired, but they traveled to Minnesota. Minnesota eliminated in back-to-back seasons, first time in the Mike Zimmer era. This could be a matchup where both coaches will be fired once the clock right. hits zero. So what do you think about Bears and Vikings? I, I like the Vikings in this one. I think that the Bears coach is just, yeah, I think he's already done. And I think that it's for good reason. So I'll take the Vikings. I'm, I'm probably would have said he's done at the beginning of the season before they even yeah. played, before they played any games. And, you know, there might be questions about Mike Zimmer, but, you know, Kirk Cousins will be back. Hopefully uh, he's yeah. recovered from COVID. Um, I'd take him over Justin Fields or anyone who starts for Chicago. And, uh, you know, Justin Jefferson is a top five wide receiver. I think he has a monster game to uh, end, end is, the regular that, season. Is Thielen playing? I think, I think they said he was out for the season with that high ankle sprain. They, were just, they were just playing safe. So it's pretty much Jefferson, KJ Osborne. That's pretty much it. So I still like the Vikings, though, uh, regardless yeah. of what happens. As then we go to the NFC East, let's talk about two teams that are just a mess right now. Washington and the New York football Giants. Washington at 6-10. and 10. The Giants at four and 12. We know Mike Glennon's out for the year. So Jake Fromm possibly is starting for the Giants. Meanwhile, Washington, they're, they're just a mess right now, both internally and externally. So WFT, NYG, what do you think? I'll take the Washington football team as their last game playing under that name. Let's they get a win. They may. Have you seen the leak about that possible name? They, they said it'd be out February 2nd, but they Admiral, did right? leak it. I believe it might be the Admirals. I'm I'm like trying to that. keep it away. I'm I'm trying to keep it away because I want to be surprised. So um, yeah, no. If it's Admirals, I I like Admirals. That's cool. I, be, I do take, like WFT. I like the color scheme though. I want Washington to keep that sort of uh, maroon and gold. That's you know, just, I yeah, just like what they have what they have with the colors. I love I love for them to to keep that sort oh, of. Oh yeah, scheme. they got to keep the colors. Yeah, Definitely. I I do agree with you that if you're starting Jake Fromm at quarterback, it's not a good sign. So Washington. You know, they've had so much going on, maybe more dysfunctional possibly than the Raiders. You know, you had teammates fighting on the sidelines. Their owner had allegations. There's so much going on, um, but I think they ended with a victory. I think they they beat the Giants because yeah. everyone, be, everyone beats the Giants. Everyone then we, beats the Giants. <laughs> of course, except for uh, the four teams that the Giants beat them in. So <laughs> getting uh, moving on to Indianapolis, the Colts still have not locked up a playoff spot, but it's looking like they will if they beat Jacksonville, who's at 2-14. and 14. Jacksonville might want to lose to get to hold on to that number one draft pick. Meanwhile, the Colts, it'd be a miracle in my eyes if they lost this game. Do you think they lose against Jacksonville? Well, because the Jacksonville, because Jacksonville's got the number one pick, I'll, I'll take the Colts. But yeah, I don't know. The Colts, they don't do well against Jacksonville. And Jacksonville beat the Buffalo Bills. You know what I mean? And the Colts offense is nowhere near. I mean, I know that the Jacksonville sucks. It was kind of a fluke that the Bills lost, but I don't know. Like if it weren't for that one, number one pick, maybe I'd pick, I'd pick Jacksonville, but I'll take the Colts. Uh, I mean, especially what you saw firsthand with Jacksonville, you might want to feel a little safe about picking Indianapolis. Yeah, yeah no, they didn't look at Trevor Lawrence though. I mean, he made some good plays. Like when I was there, like he, I don't know. Like I know he threw three like bad picks, but I, I think that he's going to be really good one day. Yeah, I do Sue. It's more about the organization. I think everyone agrees that will, yeah. uh, that's, that's making Jacksonville a mess right now. I do agree. Indianapolis should be running away with this one. I, again, if they, if they lose, it'd be 
an absolute miracle, you know, for Jacksonville. Yeah. That'd be their that'd be their win of the decade, even though they went to the AFC Championship. Even though they got year. to the AFC Championship. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I'll take Indianapolis. Should be a blowout in this one. As then we go to two teams who are surprisingly still in the playoff race, Pittsburgh and Baltimore. Pittsburgh at eight, seven, and one, Ravens at eight and eight. They need about five different things to happen for them to make the playoffs. I don't think, you know, I talked about it previously. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think the Ravens or the Steelers get into the playoffs. This could be Ben Roethlisberger's last game of his career, especially what you saw last Monday night with him saying farewell to Pittsburgh. What do you think between Steelers and Ravens, a decades old rivalry between these two? Yeah, I think, I don't know. I think I'll take the Steelers. I think I'll take the Steelers. I mean, yeah, the Steelers offense looks like not good right now, but I think Ben is going to like turn it on because he knows it's probably his last game could be his last game, you know, and he is one of the great quarterbacks. I mean, say what you want about him. So yeah. First ballot hall of Famer for sure. I mean, he threw 46 passes last week and I don't even think he cracked 200 yards. I think it was like oh, maybe a buck 40 or something like that. That just shows you where it is. I think defensively is where the Steelers are going to win this game. I think TJ Watt, he's got that sack record in sight. Remember he's got oh, yeah. 21 and a half Michael Strayan at 22 and a half. All he needs is a sack and a half. He gets the record. I put a little asterisk because it's 17 games, but um, yeah, I, I do. I do like Pittsburgh in this one. I think Baltimore is just the injuries finally caught up to them. Who's you know? Starting a QB for Baltimore for this game. So it's sounding like uh, Tyler Huntley might be going again. It is? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll take the Steelers. He is good. I like Tyler he Huntley. I, I, I think, like I think he could be a starter for maybe like three or four other teams, but I just, I don't think, I don't think it's enough for, for Baltimore. You know, there's just yeah. injuries have caught up to him all yeah. throughout i'll it's take pitch. right yeah because they were the best team in the afc at one point and all of a sudden boom injuries hit lamar's out and now they're just all over the place i think yeah. i like pittsburgh and that one i'll agree with you there as then we go sticking with uh the afc go titans and houston it's very simple for tennessee win and you get the buy if you lose you leave it up to fate and i talked about it tennessee's probably the team that needs the buy the most so they can yep. get Derrick Henry as healthy as they can. So Isn't do he you already th- back? Didn't they have him return? Like he's designated He's designated to return from the IR, but they haven't officially pulled him out yet. Yeah. I, I definitely think the Titans will win this game. Yeah, especially against Houston. Against Houston, it's a no-brainer. And I, I think, you know, as long as Ryan Tannehill doesn't throw a couple picks, you know, they should be fine. It should be mm-hmm. fine against Houston. Easy, easy win for the Titans. I'm scared that Derrick Henry's back. Yeah, <laughs> especially if you if they get that by, they get the divisional round, even if he's not at 100%. You know, that's a team that's yeah. very dangerous, very yeah. dangerous team. As then we go to the New Orleans Saints are still in the mix. They are the last team in the NFC that could shake things up if they beat Atlanta this week. If they win and the Niners lose, they will get into the wild card spot. So do you think the Saints keep their season alive possibly with a win in Atlanta? Yes, I do. I do. Yeah, I'm starting at quarterback. I mean, I, I'll still take the Saints. But Taysom started, Hill. Taysom Hill. Yeah, I like Taysom Hill. He yeah, he, really mad earlier this season, but yeah, I like. <laughs> I mean, T- Taysom Hill is like yeah. There was a great comparison. I think it was like the white Michael Vick or something like that was a good comparison. (laughs) He's good though. He's a good quarterback. I just think with all the injuries that they've had, I mean, I mentioned it. Ian Book started on a Monday night football game. Yeah, I saw that. That says a lot for New Orleans, but they get a favorable matchup, not just for this game, but San Fran's playing LA, which we'll get into uh, really shortly. That's a great opportunity for the Saints to get into the playoffs. I never would have expected them to even get in and 
I yeah. do think they win against Atlanta. I think in Atlanta, this should be a nice uh, win for the Saints to to keep them alive. But Alvin Kamara's got to have a big game for that to happen. It's got to be a big game from Kamara. He has big games. I mean, he's that guy, right? That is true. He's, he's like a Swiss Army knife, essentially. Yep. As then we go to a matchup that might hit a little close to home, Jets and Bills. It's easy for the Bills. Bills win, they get the AFC East. If they don't, they're putting it up to fate with the Patriots in Miami to possibly get into the wild card spot. So what do you think when the jets travel to Buffalo, do the bills wrap up the division with a victory? I don't know the, the, the bills. I mean, I really want the jets to win, obviously, <laughs> uh, which I thought I didn't ever think those words would leave my mouth, but um, the it's bills happened four look, times. The bills didn't look great uh, against Atlanta in the snow. That's right. right. I mean, at, at the start, at least I know they, you know, obviously they came back and like won pretty handily. I mean, I'll take the bills, but it wouldn't it just be killer if the Jets won this game? <laughs> we got the bye. That would be that. Hey, or no, we wouldn't get the bye. We'd get we'd, we'd win the division, though. Well, the Pats still have a chance for the first round bye, which we'll get into really shortly. But we're seeing it with the bills when they have really bad weather. They don't play as well. They struggled in the snow, the wind on a Monday night. You know, maybe they might want to lose and get into that wild card spot. So they're on the road. That could A-E-T-S. be. <laughs> we'll definitely be rooting for the Jets, but I think I'm with you there. I think the Bills uh, win this one. Jets yeah. are, you know, similar all over the place. Bills should win this one at home. And now we get into the games that I think are really intriguing. I mentioned it earlier, Niners and Rams. Niners killed the Rams last time these two teams played, but the division in the NFC West is still up for grabs. Rams win. They win the division and they might knock out the 49ers at the same time. Meanwhile, the Rams, if they lose, could get into the wild card spot if the Cardinals can win their game. So a lot at stake between the Niners and the Rams. How do you see this one going down? I, I, I like the Rams. I like the Rams. I think that um, Matt Stafford, like, you know, he spent his whole career on bad teams not making the playoffs. Like now it's right in front of him. He's going to I think he's going to take it. Yeah, I, I think what's good for the Rams is, uh, regardless of this, they're still in the playoffs. That's not the case for the Niners. Plus, we don't know sure, what the yeah. we don't know what the quarterback situation looks like. Will Jimmy G be able to go with that thumb tear, or is it going to have to be Trey Lance again? Oh, I didn't even hear about that. Yeah, well, Trey Lance played last week. They still got the win there, but we're still, you know, Kyle Shanahan's throwing it up in the air. They want Jimmy G to play, and I think who if he who did the Niners beat last week, I think it was Houston. I'm pretty sure it was the uh, Texans uh, that they beat. Um, but I think it, it'd be easy to say, like, if Jimmy G plays, they win. If they, he doesn't, he loses. I feel like this is a Niners game that they can win. Obviously, they have the Rams number. Plus, if they can force some interceptions from Matt Stafford, that'd give them uh, a really good chance. So I, I actually like the Niners in this one. I think they'll get the win regardless of who plays at quarterback. I think uh, they're going to have a hard time stopping George Kittle if they can get him the ball. Yeah, So. True. So I, I think I'm going with the Niners on this one. I think the Niners will will get themselves in the playoffs with a victory. As then we go to the yeah, then we go to the team close to home. Pats at 10 and 6, Dolphins 8 and 8. I feel like I know where you're going with, but let me just set the stage that if they win and the Bills lose, they get the division. If they win plus the Titans, Bengals, and Chiefs lose, they get the number one seed in the AFC. Meanwhile, the Dolphins continue to play spoiler year after year you know of it from multiple years in the past what do you think about the game in Miami between the Pats and the Dolphins I think it's a new era for the Patriots and we will win in Miami that's what I think I think that whole like we have bad luck in Miami that with that left with Brady 
Yeah, well, don't don't forget also season uh, week one. You know they were a Damian Harris fumble away from yeah, I was there the from the Dolphins starting zero and eight. So that definitely wasn't a good feeling. And I think no. revenge is also on the mind for everyone in that locker room. Pretty much right. every everyone in that locker room remembers that. You know, if Damian Harris doesn't fumble, you know they kick the field goal, they win the game. So I think that really we'd helps. Be, we'd be top of the AFC right now. Too. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I think that's on the mind of New England. I think they'll come out with the victory, as you said, new era. Uh, Mac Jones might have a really good game. So I'll take the, I'll take the Pats. I'll be rooting for them. That's my heart and my head in this one. That, <laughs> that we... whole season, the, the whole season, we've been kicking ourselves for that loss in Miami. Like the, the, when it happened, I, I went to the game with my dad my dad was like, this is going to be eating at us all season. I, was like, <laughs> I really hope not, but it has. Yeah. Well, that's, it's weird to go from week one all the way to week 18 and you're playing the same team. So hopefully they yeah. get that. They get that revenge as, there's a lot at stake in that one and a lot at stake in this one, Seattle and Arizona. As I mentioned, Arizona gets the uh, NFC West with a win and a Rams loss. Meanwhile, Seattle, who knows what their future is like with Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson, and even Bobby Wagner has said he wants to stay. But Arizona has a chance to play spoiler if they can win and Seattle loses. What do you think between Seahawks and Cardinals? I'll take Arizona. I'll take Arizona. Yeah, I, I, it's so, yeah, it's so murky in Seattle that you'd think maybe Russell Wilson would want to like go out on top and have like a really good game. But you felt like he did that last week against Detroit, you know, putting up like 51 points. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think that the Seattle thing has really come to an end. I think this is going to be like a sad, bitter end. To be honest, I've always hated the Seahawks. So I, <laughs> I it would be exciting for me if they just got killed. I mean, I haven't been the biggest fan either, but um, I, I agree with you that I think Arizona, um, you know, I'm not going to say they totally righted the ship with that win last week in Dallas, but I think they'll definitely have enough. It was a huge win, huge win. Kept them alive in the division race. I do think uh, they win this game against Seattle. As then we go to... From the NFC South, Tampa Bay, the champs already clinched that division. Meanwhile, they've got a whole situation with Antonio Brown. We could, yeah. we could devote a whole hour to that one. But all I could say is Mike Evans came back healthy. Leonard Fournette possibly returning for the playoffs. They go to Carolina to end the regular season. They could go as high as number two if some things happen with the Rams. What do you think about Panthers and Bucks? Does Tom Brady wrap up the regular season with another victory? He does. I'll take the bucks for sure. Despite all the distractions or whatever. Yeah. I think, I think uh, what's important for like Bruce Arians is going to be that like sort of pregame or even like in practice is saying like, okay, we know what's going on in the media. We know what AB is doing, throwing out text messages and, you know, looking at evidence, stuff like that. He's got to get his guys focused. I think if he does that for this week, you know, you can look for great things in the playoffs for uh, the bucks, especially when they get healthy. So I agree with you and I'll go. Yeah. You're going to have Brady doing that too, though. You know, like exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I'll go, I'll go with Tampa on that one as then we end the regular season with a win and in game between the chargers and the Raiders. It's pretty simple, Mike, you win, you're in, you lose, you're out. That's essentially all it is unless they tie, you know, it could possibly be if the Colts lose, they could just tie with each other. And they both get in. So it, it's possible there, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think someone's got to win this game. What do you think about Chargers and Raiders? Essentially, you're picking the last team in the AFC to uh, get into the playoffs. Um, I'll take the Chargers. I just Ooh. think there's so much uh, uncertainty. I know the Raiders are doing kind of well right now, though, right? Like they've won a couple of games in a row. Yeah. The Chargers are the opposite, right? Yeah, they uh, lost to uh, Houston a few weeks ago. 
Yeah, I don't know. I've I've always liked Justin Herbert since the first time I ever watched him play, which was like last season when he played Brady, and and they lost. But I just I was like, man, this kid is crazy. Like, um, yeah, I don't know. I think that I think Justin Herbert's going to turn it on. I think he's going to take the Chargers to the playoffs. I think reigning offensive rookie of the year might uh, tell you otherwise with the Chargers. I mean, I said in our previous segment that Chargers would be more effective. You know, when you look at it, they probably get whoever wins this would get the seventh seed. If you're looking at it from a competitive standpoint. They'd probably play the Chiefs if all things go uh, right uh, and, and accordingly well. The Chargers can take it to the Chiefs. The Raiders cannot, if you remember earlier on in the year. Yeah, they got let, uh, Yeah, like 48-3 to three or something like that for the Raiders. Yeah. I, I love what Derek Carr has done with this team, the way he's carried them through everything. I mean, everything has gone, gone on with the Raiders. I applaud him for that. I just don't think it's enough. I think I think I agree with you, and I think Chargers uh, win this game and get themselves into the playoffs. Now, can they go deep? We'll uh, we'll have to see. But that'll wrap it up for our Pick'em segment for the year. Hopefully, we end it on a high note. Mike, thanks for taking the time, and for uh, those that want to check out Groundlift, tell them where they can go. Sure thing. So our Instagram is Groundlift Band. Groundlift is one word, just the word Groundlift Band. It's all one word. Um, on Facebook, same thing. Just look up ground lift. You can find out all of our music on like YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, any platform you want. You can find our stuff. we got a new EP coming out in, uh, you know, the next few, like early this year is when it's going to come out. We're still not sure what the, you know, timeline is with the mixing. We're going to be booking some shows for hopefully the summer. Um, and yeah, we got a lot of cool things happening. So definitely follow our page. Keep, keep us, uh, on your radar, please. Yeah. We're definitely looking forward to that EP. Mike Ducko, bass player for Groundlift. Thank you for taking the time and good luck with your picks for NFL week 18. Thanks a lot, man. Have a good one. Special thanks again to Mike Dutko. Again, check out Groundlift, all of their songs. Follow them on social media. It's a great band to follow for. But sticking with football, let's get to the college game because there's one game remaining for the college football season, and that is the national championship. And if you've been living under a rock, let me explain to you what happened. Georgia and Alabama killed their opponents, and now they get to play each other again. So Alabama beat Cincinnati, Georgia beat Michigan, and now in Indianapolis this Monday night, it is the national championship. And what it's a rematch of the SEC championship a few weeks ago in Atlanta that Alabama absolutely dominated 41-24. And, you know, I looked at some, some highlights of it, and I obviously watched the game in live time, but I went back on the highlights just this week to get a little refresher. And... I think, you know, some things I took away. Bryce Young clearly deserved to, to win the Heisman, okay? I know it could have gone to uh, Hutchinson from Michigan, but come on, Bryce Young, 26 of 44, 421 yards, and three touchdowns, okay? That's Heisman winning football right there, and I think that game in itself won him that award. And in just doing a little preview between these two, I think this could be another high scoring game because i know from from the first week up until now it's all been about you know georgia defense they've been dominating everyone aside from alabama but in terms of just watching that game you know 
I think it's going to be a high scoring game, but it all comes down to just Georgia really simplifying, you know, their offense, you know, if that's going to be high scoring, they've got to simplify it, especially on third down. Okay. They went three of 12 on third down in that sec championship game. So really just everyone on Georgia has to simplify things. You know, they were going more for the shorter passes on third down. That's where you got to maybe throw in a run here and there, or, you know, maybe not go to the outside so much, try and go in between the hash marks and try and get that first down. But three of 12 is not going to cut it, not going to cut it, especially against the Nick Saban team, but offense, I don't see a huge problem with for Georgia. It's all about defensively what they did against Alabama. I mean, 536 yards allowed. And as I mentioned, Bryce Young threw for 421. So that's number one right there is Jamison Williams. The speed that he has for Alabama just outran everybody. And when you look at the numbers he put up, seven catches, a buck 84 for yards, and two touchdowns in that SEC title game. So all eyes are going to be on that secondary you know, whether they're playing zone, whether they're playing man-to-man, the communication has to be there to watch out for Williams. Williams is the guy that everyone on Georgia should be keeping their eyes on because, you know, part of it is defensive scheme. The second of it is Williams is just really freaking fast. You know, when you saw that first touchdown, he just outran everybody. I know there was a defensive miscommunication there, but the way he went over the middle and was wide open, and then he just outran everybody. He's got a ton of speed. So that speed for Williams has to be contained by the secondary, okay? Not not the linebackers, not the D-line, the secondary. That's going to be key. That's number one for uh, defense for Georgia. Number two, they've got to get Bryce Young nervous and unsettled in that pocket. They really do, because let's face it, this was a Georgia team that relied extremely heavy on sacks. How many did they get against Alabama? None. Zero. No sacks in that SEC title game. So that's where it comes down to for Georgia defensively is the secondary shutting down the pass game and getting Bryce Young nervous and unsettled in the pocket. I mean, we heard it on the broadcast. You know, the commentators were saying Bryce Young doesn't like to run. And if you get him nervous, you get him unsettled in the pocket. That gives you the advantage right there. Okay? So Those are the two keys to me for Georgia to win this game is defensively shutting him down on the secondary and getting Bryce Young nervous and unsettled in that pocket. Meanwhile, on the other side of things for Nick Saban and the Crimson Tide, I mean, really there's nothing they have to do extraordinary in my mind to beat Georgia once again. Okay. Because the offensive line was great. They had great protection for Young. And they gave him a pocket, essentially. When you're looking at all the throws that Young made, essentially he had about, you know, let's say three or four seconds to get that ball off. And when he did get pressure, you know, he was making those throws. So part of it is Bryce Young is a great player, but the offensive line had some great protection. And I think they're going to be key once again to get that offense cooking, okay? It's about giving Bryce Young a great pocket. It's about opening holes for the run game because I think the run game is going to have to step up because we know Georgia is a great team and they're going to look at the film from the SEC title game and they're going to see, look at what that passing game did for us, okay? That's going to be our focal point right there. So the guy I'm circling is Brian Robinson Jr., okay? 16 carries for 55 yards in the SEC championship game. He's going to be the guy 
who could be the X factor, the dark horse, the one who maybe wins it. You know, you always have those, uh, those unspoken guys who, who win championship games, you know, for, for whatever college they're playing for. So Brian Robinson Jr. is that guy. He's probably going to be the lead back. They're probably going to have to get a running game going because we saw it in the SEC title game. You started with the run a little bit, and then Georgia was able to shut that down, and they made Bryce Young throw the ball and throw the ball and throw the ball. And part of it was also Nick Saban's you know, game plan against Georgia. So part of it is on both sides. So Robinson is going to be that guy to really watch out for. Okay, That's on the offensive side of things. For defense, how effective is going to be Will Anderson on that defensive line? Okay, Is he going to be able to get to the quarterback and be able to sack uh georgia one after another is he going to be so much of a disruptor that the o-line for georgia gets him on a double team and that opens up someone else to come through and get in there for some pressure and to force some mistakes but so that's really what it is because i think will anderson is probably the best player on that defensive line for the crimson tide and for alabama so it's going to be how much of a factor is he going to be does he get some early pressure some early sacks where they're going to bring in some double teams and that's going to open it up for Alabama to maybe bring a blitz, get a linebacker in there and get Georgia all unsettled. So that's what I see defensively. Cause I think, you know, they were able to force the mistakes, force the turnovers and the interceptions. But the one player I'm circling is Will Anderson for Alabama. How well does he do on that defensive line in terms of a prediction? I this could go either way. You know, I'm someone who kind of roots for, you know, a new champion every single time. So I think Georgia might be my rooting favorite, but I just think, I just think Nick Saban is just above everyone else in terms of preparation, you know, player management, you know, we might not have the best players out there. He does have the Heisman trophy winner, but you know, when you look at the whole roster, you're seeing, you know, a couple draft prospects here and there, but I still think that Alabama wins the national championship. That's what I think. I just think it's hard to beat Nick Saban especially in big games like this, you know, only a handful of guys have been able to do it uh, in this century while he's been at Alabama, you know, a couple times from LSU uh, urban Meyer did it while he was at Ohio state, you know, dabble Sweeney did it while he was at Clemson. It's going to be hard, but I think because these are two sec teams, it's like, they know each other, like the back of their hand. I think it's going to be closer than the sec championship. I do think so. It's going to be closer. It's still going to be high scoring. But in the end, I'm going to pick Alabama for the second year in a row to win the national championship. Now we move on to a topic that's a little bit off the grid. And let's talk Supercross. Of course, the Dirt Bikes are going to be firing this Saturday in Angel Stadium in Anaheim, California, back to Anaheim, where it's been the opening stop for years and years and years, going all the way back to the 80s and the 70s for Supercross season. Of course, they couldn't do it last year because of uh, COVID, but they are back to a normal schedule, 17 rounds, 18 weeks, every Saturday night. They get an Easter break. And they also reintroduced the Triple Crown. Now, for those that don't know, the Triple Crown is instead of qualifying races and then one long main event, it's three different races that ultimately use uses a system like the PGA, like in golf, where you win the lowest amount of points 
and that determines your position. So if you get a first place, you'll get the lowest amount of points, which is, I think, like one or two. And then you get second, they go up by one, three, four, et cetera, et cetera. And it's going to be at some select races. I'm not 100% sure where there are, but the racing schedule looks like this. They'll be at Anaheim three times. Of course, they'll be in different weeks, but they'll be in Oakland, San Diego, Glendale, Minneapolis. Uh, they'll be at Cowboy Stadium, AT&T Stadium. They'll be back to Daytona for the historic Daytona Supercross. They'll be in Detroit, Indy, Seattle, St. Louis, Atlanta. They'll be around my neck of the woods and Foxborough at Gillette and then Denver and then ending the season at Salt Lake City. But that's what the schedule looks like. Let's talk about the riders in the field. And you have to start with the defending champion, who's now a two-time champ, and that's Cooper Webb on the Red Bull KTM. Now, for, for those who saw it, Cooper Webb had a great second half in 2021, okay? When you look at how he started the year, was he a factor? No. I mean, his worst finish overall was a ninth at that season opener in Houston. But then he started rattling off, you know, fourths and fifths and thirds. He eventually got a win, but it was after round six that he really took over, okay? He had five wins and a second place in the next six rounds, okay? And after six rounds, he had seven wins in total. He had seven wins from that point on, and he had eight in total. So he finished the year with eight wins, and he went a stretch of six rounds, winning five races and finishing second, okay? That's a championship-level ride. That's how Cooper Webb won his championship, his second championship. And I ultimately think this is a guy who rides better when he's got a chip on his shoulder. So I'm not 100% sure how he'll do this year because when you look at his first title in 2019, everyone counted him out saying, oh, he's just going to be a podium guy, just you know, maybe a top five or a top 10. Sure enough, he comes out, wins the championship. Now everyone's expecting him to do great things in the next year in 2020. And sure enough, he finishes in the top three, but he loses the title to Eli Tomek. Then in 2021, people are saying, oh, that could be just a one-hit wonder. Sure enough, he comes back. He wins the title. Now, for this year, where I see the chip could be, you know, they said that he's not going to be with his usual trainer. There's going to be a whole new bike uh, that he'll be riding on. So not sure how well Cooper Webb is going to do, but I'll never count him out until you see it on the racetrack. If he's far, far out, from the point standings, then I'll count him out. But I, every time I doubt Cooper Webb, I did this last year, I doubt Cooper Webb, and sure enough, he comes back and he wins it all. So Cooper Webb is definitely going to be a favorite heading into this year. But he won the title. The guy who maybe could have won the title and should have won the title is Ken Roxon on Team HRC on the Honda, okay? Just like Webb had a great second half, Roxon's second half, was horrible okay he started the year great he swept the three races in indianapolis okay and the last two seasons that we've seen from 2020 and 2021 we've seen him lose ground with poor finishes near the end of the year i mean he held the points lead for multiple weeks in both seasons and sure enough once the halfway point hit and they you got to daytona he started struggling and yeah he picked up a win here and there but he was having rides that, you know, he didn't look like himself. And I know 2021, I think he had a case of the mumps or uh, something like that. 
Uh, and then 2021, he might have had like a sore leg or something. I'm not 100% sure, but he just didn't look, he doesn't look like himself in the second half of the year. And this is gut check time for Roxon because he's got a great teammate in Chase Sexton, okay? Chase Sexton is coming for him in that Honda camp. And if Sexton avoids a sophomore slump and doesn't miss any races because of him crashing, he might turn into that number one guy in Honda instead of Roxon. So this is basically, to me, championship or bust for Ken Roxon. Because if he doesn't win it this year, I don't know if he's ever going to win it. You know, he has an outdoor title. He has a motocross title, but he doesn't have a supercross title. And the highest he's been is second place in the overall point standing. But it's got to happen for a full 17 rounds. That's what's got to happen for uh, Ken Roxon is to get it throughout the 17 races in the 18 weeks. You can't falter anywhere. You got to continue to have that top five finish. You know, you can't throw in a seventh or an eighth. It's got to be top five all year long. And I'm going to be rooting for him because Ken Roxon is a guy who I've loved ever since he came to the States from Germany. And, you know, he, he had a horrible wreck a couple of years ago. People were saying he might lose his arm. And sure enough, he comes back. He's racing. He had another bad arm injury. So I am rooting for Ken Roxon. I'm rooting for him. And for right now, he would be my pick. He would be my pick because I think he's looked himself in the mirror and thought something's got to change and that intensity is going to be right there. So I'm going to be rooting for Ken Roxon. But let's talk about some of, you know, the theme for the offseason was change, change, change. And we've seen a lot of big-time riders change teams. The biggest one has to be the 2020 champ, Eli Tomac, who's now on the Monster Energy Star Yamaha team, Okay. Last year, I don't know how much he was invested. I don't know if his heart was really in it because he is near the end of his career, okay? He's already a dad. You know, most guys at this sport retire in their early 30s. Tomac is right there. I think he's like 28 or 29. So where's his heart going to be? Is he going to be as invested in uh, this season as he was when he won in 2020? Because everyone was saying, similar to Roxon that in 2020, if Tomac didn't win the title, he was never going to win it. Sure enough, he wins it. He solidifies a possible Hall of Fame career. And for, for Tomac, it's, you know, he didn't just say, oh, I'm just doing this because it's the end of my career. He still thinks he can win. And I still think he can. He can win. He can win races. But it's going to be about how invested is he? Because I think he's one of the best riders on the planet today. And I think he is going to be challenged in the truck by the 2021 motocross champ from France, Dylan Ferrandez. So how invested is Eli Tomac going to be in this season? That remains to be seen throughout the whole season. But of course, he leaves Monster Energy Kawasaki. That opens up a void. And sure enough, Jason Anderson, the 2018 champ, takes Tomac's ride at Monster Energy Kawasaki. Similar thing. This is a guy who hasn't won a race since that title year in 2018. And he's been a lifelong Husqvarna rider. This is the first time that he switched teams, whole new ride, you know, from what we're seeing in reports at, you know, test tracks saying he loves the bike. He loves the bike. I don't know if he can still be that championship contender because this is just a guy who marches to the beat of his own drum, similar to the next guy we'll talk about 
Uh, but I just don't know how effective Anderson is going to be because since that title run, he had a year cut by injury. And then the next year, you know, he just, he hasn't looked like himself. He hasn't had that championship push, but some guy who is getting a championship push is Aaron Plessinger. Now this is a guy, if you watch the races or watch his interviews, this is a guy who you absolutely love to see. You love his personality. Okay. And from what he did on the bike, he got better as the season went along along. And now that he's on the Red Bull KTM team, he moved from the Yamaha, he goes to the KTM. This might push him to the top, okay? He scored his first podium of his career, finishing third place at Daytona. He finished fifth overall in the points. I think I'm expecting that number seven in the orange to get himself a win. I think he's going to get the first win of his career. It's going to happen this year. I'm not sure when it is, but I just think you can't go anywhere but up for this guy, Plessinger. And similar to his maybe his best friend, Malcolm Stewart, the younger brother of James Bubba Stewart, okay? Stewart also changes team. He solidifies himself on a Husqvarna for a two-year deal. It's been a lot of one-year deals in recent years, but Stewart now has a long future, or at least temporary long future. Gets a two-year deal on the Rockstar Husqvarna team. Now, Stewart has the speed, but he just has to have a mistake-free season, okay? No one rides better in the whoops than he does. And if he cleans that, if he just cleans up everywhere else on the track, this is a guy, again, who can contend for his first win of his career. Now, also to keep in mind, him and Plessinger, they're training with legendary trainer Alden Baker. Now, if you don't know who Alden Baker is, he's a guy who's produced a champion in probably the last 20 years. You know, just do a quick Google search on him. He's trained the best. He's trained James Stewart, Ryan Villapoto, Ryan Dungey, uh, Cooper Webb. For a short time so if if plessinger and stewart have a successful season they're gonna look at that training program with alden baker but one rider also just to watch out for the opener is justin barcia on the team gas gas for uh troy lee designs okay he's trying to win his fourth straight season opening victory but after that kind of fell apart he did finish fourth in the standing so you know maybe he contends for more wins but if he just doesn't win the opener, I don't really see him at a, having any kind of chance for the overall Supercross title, essentially. Just I, I don't see it with Barsha. You know, he just comes out firing in that season opener. I don't know what it is, but he just looks fantastic every time there's an opening race. But after that, kind of falls apart just a little bit, and he's not there contending. So definitely a lot of storylines to watch for, and it should be an exciting year of Monster Energy Supercross. we go on to our usual segment let's get local and talk about all these boston teams our let's get local segment of the week focusing on three teams this week we'll start obviously with the new england patriots they have locked up their playoff spot after destroying jacksonville in their home finale 50 to 10 and now all they're doing is trying to improve their seating and possibly win the division possibly win the division all they need is a win against miami and a buffalo loss against the jets and boom you've got it you've got another home game you get the AFC East title, but let's talk about that game against Jacksonville 50 to 10. Okay. Part, part of it 
is because the Jaguars stink. Okay. Jacksonville absolutely stinks, but the offense was back to the formula for success. Okay. They went back to the drawing board and they knew exactly what they had to do. They had to have a strong running game and they had to help balance out Mac Jones. Okay. A buck 81 for rushing yards, four rushing touchdowns, two by Harris, two by Stevenson, and then also eight and eight for 10 on third down. That is crucial, especially for playoff success. Okay. I've seen in recent games that this team has gotten better and better on third down. You know, when you look at all their success, it's been because of third down. It's been because of their success on third down. So I totally, I think that's huge for this offense. And meanwhile, defensively, they're hinging on their ability to create turnovers. Okay. Cause their secondary is banged up. Okay. Miles Bryant landed on the COVID list. Duggar and Phillips are dealing with some injuries. Okay. The run defense has struggled. So it's going to be hinging on the ability to create turnovers, which they did. They forced three Trevor Lawrence interceptions. Okay. Some of them were just because again, the Jaguars stink, but the way that defense was able to create turnovers, set great field position. That's going to be crucial. Okay. Cause when you look at all the playoff teams right now, they almost all of them have strong running games. Okay. Tennessee is going to get Derrick Henry. You know, the chiefs can have that can have a great run game here and there. The Bengals get Joe Mixon, um, the Colts with Jonathan Taylor. He couldn't stop him. Austin Eckler, you know, Josh Jacobs, you name it. Almost every playoff team has a great running game. So run defense is going to have to get better, even though they did shut down the Jaguars a little bit, you know, just a little bit, but again, predecessors because Jacksonville stinks. Well, let's talk about the seating right now. They're currently fifth. And uh, just looking at it real quick, they can't be any lower than the sixth seed, at least from what I know, regardless of the chargers Raiders result. Okay. They beat the Chargers, So they have the tiebreaker there. And uh, if they lose and the Colts win, that would be a leapfrog. And I'm not sure about the tiebreaker with the Raiders or uh, Steelers, Ravens, any other team. I'm not sure about those tiebreakers, but at least from what I can see, they can't be any lower than the sixth seed. So they're essentially looking at either the Bills or the Bengals. Now, if you ask me from all the playoff teams that are out there right now, I think the matchup that would make me the most nervous are two teams, and that's Chiefs and Bengals because they are very offensive heavy, okay? And they have defenses that can't that they can't stop you. Because let's face it, you've beaten Tennessee. I know they were undermanned, but you beat them. You beat them by multiple scores. You've beaten Buffalo before. Plus, those two teams have clear flaws that you have exploited in the past, okay? New England's exposed those two teams. They've exposed their flaws. So not saying it can't happen again because it is very much possible, but if I were a New England fan and looked at that playoff structure in the AFC, I would want to avoid the Chiefs and I would want to avoid the Bengals. And you can do that, essentially. You know, All you got to do is win in Miami. That essentially locks it up, okay? That locks up that you're probably going to play either Buffalo or it would probably be Buffalo, okay? That's the most likely scenario at this point. But you got to win in Miami, okay? It's a must win. Everyone knows that. But I think this is more a matter of revenge and execution, okay? Because you remember that season opener, okay, in week one. Everyone hasn't forgotten about it. I know I haven't forgotten about it, okay? You lost the game by one point because Damian Harris fumbled the ball. 
And look what's happened since, okay? The turnovers by Harris have been limited. And also, you got to keep in mind, Bill Belichick is not good in Miami, at least recently, okay? The team is 2-6 and six in Miami since 2013. And overall, since 2013, they've been 2-6 and six whenever they've had to play them in the last four weeks of the regular season. So this is a Bill Belichick team that is telling their, his squad right now, don't waste the opportunity, okay? Because we've seen when this team wins in Miami, they go on to success. You remember the uh, season finale in the Super Bowl year against Atlanta, okay? How did they win that Super Bowl? Because they locked up the number one seed by winning in Miami and beating the Dolphins, okay? This is a team that has success when they win in Miami. So that's, you got to win this game. You got to win this game. And it starts with shutting down the offense, okay? You obviously have to limit your mistakes on offense. But defensively, you have to shut down Tua Tagovailoa because this is an offense that can hurt you. They can hurt you. Tua's not the best passer in the world, but if you got guys like Jalen Waddle out there in secondary, you got to lock him down. You know, maybe throw some double teams in his own coverage or whatever. But limiting mistakes on offense and shutting down Tua Tagovailoa is the key for this game in Miami. Do I think the Pats can win? I do think they can, but it's going to have to be a statement win, okay? It's not going to be pretty, but they're going to have to basically win it in the trenches. But they're probably a healthy team right now. I think there is confidence that they can at least win a wild card game. You know, maybe you don't favor them, but you see a realistic opportunity to win a playoff game with this team where you don't see a team that could win a playoff game is the Celtics, even though they finally have a healthy team to field. Okay. Look at what they've done the past uh, couple of games since we last recorded, they've beaten Phoenix at home. They beat Orlando in overtime. And if not for a missed layup by Jalen Brown, they would have beaten San Antonio. Okay. Now what I see from the Celtics team, because I watched uh, the San Antonio game from start to finish. Okay. Defensive communication, that has been so inconsistent, okay? Which is essentially what the Celtics are. They're an inconsistent team. They just hover around the 500. They get to 500, but they can't get any higher than that, okay? And what I saw last night was defensive miscommunications. I mean, how many guys for San Antonio were left wide open for a three-pointer, okay? How many guys, okay? Murray and uh, Johnson, you know, it was almost like they could go get a drink from the vending machine, come back, and they'd still be wide open. So I don't know what strategy Ime Udoka is putting out there for, you know, whoever has to cover someone, but communication has got to get better. They've got to get better, okay? I don't know if that starts with Marcus Smart or it starts with Dennis Schroeder, but that's got to get better ultimately because I think offensively they're, they're fine. You know, look at what Jalen Brown has been doing on the scoring end, okay? The career-high 50 against Orlando. Last night, 30 with San Antonio. Of course, he should have had 32, maybe more. But you get Jason Tatum back as well. And it's probably going to take him some time to shake off the rust. But if you've got Jalen Brown scoring like this and Jason Tatum scoring like this, your offense shouldn't have a problem, okay? You've got a great, great presence down low with Rob Williams. You could throw him an alley-oop. And Marcus Smart is getting better at his decision-making. 
The problem is defense, 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 defense. Okay. You have to communicate better, communicate much better because it was a bad showing, bad showing against San Antonio last night. I understand they could have had the layup to tie the game and people are going to dog Jalen. And of course he said it himself that he should have made that layup. You know, he just, he missed the effing layup. I think was the exact quote uh, in the presser, but no one's going to blame him for that. They shouldn't even have been in that spot to start with. Okay. San Antonio's what seven games behind under 500 and they're letting San Antonio get, you know, eight point leads on them. You can't have that happen. You can't have that happen. So what am I seeing for the Celtics when they have their home and home against New York and Indiana? It's just getting better on defense. Okay. We know that this team can, can make blocks. It's about communication in the half court. Okay. When you see, offenses run their schemes or whatever, like San Antonio did, you know, it seems like the Celtics got in and out of, you know, they had to lock up one guy, you know, maybe Dennis Schroeder had to be on one guy or Marcus smart had to be on one guy. And one other guy totally forgot about that. So communication, communication, that's the key for the Celtics, especially on defense. But meanwhile, we got to talk about the Bruins. They're finally back on the ice. Thank goodness. Seems like they've been off for months but they are back on the ice after having uh, two weeks off. Obviously they had a COVID situation. Then the NHL uh, paused uh, for a little bit, but they came back on new year's day. They came back from down three, one against Buffalo. They won it in overtime. Thanks to Charlie Coyle on new year's day. And now, you know, it just seems like there's a new energy, you know, they've won three straight and they've scored four or more goals in each of those games. And like I said, a new energy after the pause with the team fully healthy. I mean, Pasternak and Taylor Hall, they seem revitalized. It might not show it on the stat sheet, but Taylor Hall had a great goal against Buffalo. David Pasternak put one in. Just the offense looks better than ever with speed and physicality. And you don't normally say that when you've got a 30, you know, a mid-30s guy like Bergeron in age, and you've got an early 30s guys and Brad Marsh in. You know, you don't hear speed and physicality with those two guys, but it's the pieces around him, you know, DeBrusque is finally accepting the fact that maybe I should be playing better and maybe not request a trade. You know, you see him, I understand he entered protocols, but before then he was playing great. Defense was playing great. You know, Brandon Carlo looked great. And the two guys in the net, Allmark and Swayman, you know, this is a team that looks great. And I understand, you know, the opponents have been a little bit soft. I know the Devils were thrown in there and they've get the wild tonight. This is going to be a good test tonight against the Minnesota Wild. But of course, the headline for the Bruins is now what's going to happen for the goaltending situation, okay? Because Tuka Rask has officially signed with the Providence Bruins. He's going to be rehabbing in the AH, AHL in Providence. How does Swayman and Allmark feel about that, okay? How do they feel about that? Because they've kept it manageable. These two guys, I think, have done a good job. You know, maybe not a great job, but a good job. They haven't been – it hasn't been for uh, these two guys – they haven't lost games themselves, okay? It hasn't been their fault that the Bruins have struggled the way they have. It hasn't been goaltending that's been the problem. So what's going to happen with Tuca? You know, because we've seen it for weeks and weeks and weeks. Tuca's been rehabbing at the Bruins' training facility, okay? He has been training, and all signs indicated from management to Coach Bruce Cassidy saying Tuca's our guy when he comes back. He's welcome back whenever he wants. 
He was training with them when he wasn't even signed. Okay. Don't you think that would rub Swayman and Allmark the wrong way? If I'm Jeremy Swayman, I'm saying, wait a minute, I've performed well since I've been the starting goalie for the Boston Bruins. Why do I have to get sent down or possibly be the third string goalie in Providence? Now, he is saying the right, right thing, saying, oh, well, Tuca's been very uh, inspirational for me. He's kept me on my toes. Great having him around. He's saying the right things, but if I were him, I'd be a little upset. But, I mean, Tuca is a great talent, but it's just how much of his heart is going to be involved in it. Similar to what we said in Supercross about Eli Tomac. How invested is Tuka Rask going to be? Is he actually going to be dedicated and saying, when I'm fully healthy, I'm going to give it my all? That remains to be seen, but that's a story to watch out for. Whenever Tuka Rask is ready to go and he's and he says, I'm ready to come back, are they automatically going to thrust him into the starting role? Because to me, I would make it a competition between these three. Obviously, depending on where the Bruins are in the standings, you know, are they locked into the playoffs or if they're still fighting for a playoff spot remains to be seen, but that's just something to watch out for is how is that goaltending situation going to be? Because if the Bruins keep up this energy, you know, they might want to keep it, keep it going. You know, they might not want to turn to Tuca and unsettle things a little bit, but it's a story to watch for, for the Bruins and we'll have to see what they do and what the Celtics and Patriots do heading into the new year. Lastly, we end our show as we usually do with our LOL moment of the week and we go back to football on this one you know there's been a lot of viral moments from week 17 in the nfl but none got a laugh like this one so without any further ado this week's lol moment of the week goes to the washington football team and i don't know if i can put it squarely on the washington football team i guess put it on the workers at FedEx field possibly now they've had a really bad year let's just keep that in mind at FedEx field okay week one they had um I think it was a pipe burst and they had sewage spilling during a game and it was like coming out like a waterfall or whatever but for the last week might be the icing on the cake so the video shows Jalen Hurts coming through the tunnel and you get the Eagles fans who stick who uh, stuck around after Philly beat Washington. But sure enough, what happens when some fans want to lean over and get a little high five? Boom, the railing collapse. The fans fall, I don't know, maybe six feet from the stadium to uh, the tunnel floor. And obviously you see Jalen Hurts and uh, whoever was there at the time, you know, checking on the people saying, you okay, you okay? I think from what I remember, most of them were okay. Some of them maybe had some like cuts or whatever. But come on, Washington. I mean, there are reports going on that minutes passed before Washington security could even help. And even when they did help, they were just saying, like, get back up there, get back up there. They weren't saying, are you okay? Are you okay? But just I'm baffled at this because it's showing just how much of a mess that Washington organization has been all throughout this regular season. Okay. As I said, you start with the sewage pipe, you know, bursting. Then you get, 
uh, scandal about Dan Snyder, the owner. And then you see, you know, teammates in that Dallas game on Sunday night fighting with each other. And now that they're officially eliminated, you know, you get this sort of stadium collapse, you know, on the railing. So it's just kind of a perfect metaphor for what's gone on in Washington. And you could even argue that, you know, them possibly leaking the name of uh, the team that was going to get released, the the name of the mascot, the nickname, you know, got leaked out. I, I didn't want to read it because I still want to be, you know, in suspense. So I can't tell you exactly what it was if you're looking for the team name, you know, because I still want to be surprised. And ultimately, I'm not really good at between the lines. I'm a pretty gullible person if, you, if we're being uh, completely honest. But in terms of what happened, you know, when Jalen Hurts came by and the railing, you know, coming apart, that just shows you how much of a how much Washington has collapsed, I guess, you know, pun intended, you know, how much the team and the organization has collapsed during the 2021-22 season with their owner having allegations to multiple stadium problems. You know, this was just, as I said, icing in the cake, nail in the coffin for, you know, what's gone on for Washington all year. So FedEx Field, you know, I've Again, not really 100% sure who to put this on, but I just guess, you know, FedEx field workers or the Washington football team organization for having another part of your stadium come undone. It started with the sewage pipe, now a railing forcing some fans to fall over. You have landed yourselves once again into this week's LOL moment of the week. So that does it once again for this edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in wherever you're getting your podcasts, either Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching us on YouTube. Make sure, as always, you follow our pages on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. All you got to do is search Let Me Speak Podcast. And remember, as always, if you got a point you got to get across, just let the whole world know. Shut up and let me speak.